0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of The Snyder Cut. I am your superstar host, Jeff Snyder, a.k.a. At The Inn Snyder. Wow. Busy week. Didn't think it would be such a busy week, but it was. So let's dive in. Guys, I'm riding a little bit of a high right now because I just interviewed one of my Favorite comedians, Gary Gulman, who has a special, uh, The Great Depression. It's going to be on HBO this weekend. You don't even need to have HBO to watch it. You can just watch it on YouTube. Uh, Gary, he was going to come on and, and uh, guest on this episode, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how Umberto's uh, Skype interview went over. I heard you know there were some audio issues, and so we want to get those figured out before we you know ask major guests to uh, to give up their time and and, uh, and do a Skype interview that you guys can only have here. Um, but look for that print interview on Collider.com. That's going to be a fun one. As far as the news goes, oh man, I, before we even get into that, I got to tell you, I'm a little tired because uh, I stayed up last night. I stayed up to watch El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie. Guys, I thought it was good. I thought it was an entertaining film. Uh, you know, as far as the Breaking Bad TV series goes, it, it was like an, a completely unnecessary epilogue. Like, I enjoyed spending two hours with with Jesse Pinkman. It was good to see him again and and see all those uh, characters. I don't want to spoil who shows up or who doesn't show up for those who have not seen it or won't get a chance to see it until later this weekend. But, yeah, it just felt like, I don't know, like uh, two episodes of the show that we didn't need. Like, uh, even though I could watch Aaron Paul play Pinkman until the end of time, I don't know that I need that. Uh... You know, I, I spoke more about it on Movie Talk this morning. So, if you want, you know, more in depth thoughts, feel free to check out the uh, today's Movie Talk, the fr- Friday episode with me and Donato on. But yeah, it just didn't enhance the property. Like it, that's such a high bar to, to clear with Breaking Bad because it's one of the greatest series of all time. I loved the finale; it just ended things like perfectly. So to, it's like it's like when you're. You know, when when somebody makes a good joke and then, you know, somebody pisses on the fire, we're like, they're, they're, it's, yeah. I guess it's hard to describe it, but I think that your mileage may vary with El Camino. The reviews have not been terribly kind. You know, some are like, uh, it runs out of gas. Uh, it has a flat tire. Um, this was not bad. Like, I didn't mind staying up until 2 a.m. watching it. It was totally engrossed. Like, it was kind of fascinating to watch it unfold, but about halfway through you realize, okay, this is, I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know if it was necessary. I don't know if we needed this because it's kind of clear where things are going about half, by halfway through. You know what kind of movie you're watching? Um, anyways, those are my scattershot thoughts on El Camino. I imagine you're all going to check it out on Netflix. Whatever. Uh, I, I, I would, I, you know, if you think Breaking Bad ended it, Perfectly, you may not need to see the series. Yeah. Anyways, news: Matrix Four added Yahya Abdul Mateen the second as we don't know. Some say he's playing young Morpheus. Some say say he could be playing a relative of Morpheus. I don't know. Seems kind of obvious he's playing young young Morpheus to me. Uh, I mean, that's how this whole thing starts with Morpheus having gone through you know the one after the one after the one until he finds. You know Todd Anderson. Um, yeah, I, I like Yaya. He's he's definitely blowing up. He was Black Manta and Aquaman. He's the dad in Us. Uh, he, I think he just booked the Bobby Seal role in uh, in Sh- Trial of the Chicago Seven. So you know he's he's working very steadily. I still am so curious to see how they're going to reconcile like a young Morpheus with an older Neo and Trinity, um, particularly. The, given the fact that Carrie Anne Moss doesn't really look anything like she did in the Matrix movies twenty years ago, I mean Keanu kind of looks the exact same, if not if not even better. But um, yeah, I don't know about uh, sticking Trinity in a bunch of tight black leather clothing anymore. So we'll have to wait and see what direction the Matrix Four goes in because I don't know. I still don't know what the plot is. You know, I don't know how big Yaya's role is going to be. Is he the lead or is it more? Of a Keanu Neo adventure, I have no idea. This is probably like the role that Michael B. Jordan had been rumored rumored for. That Michael B. Jordan had been rumored for back in the day. Uh, Michael B. Jordan might also be an interesting choice for this other movie over at Warner Brothers uh, conti- to continue a, a franchise, if you will. I broke the news that uh, Warner Brothers is developing a Training Day prequel. They've tapped this blacklist scribe, Nick Yarborough, who wrote uh, letters from Rosemary Kennedy. Kind of not what you would imagine would get someone a job on a Training Day prequel. But uh, but nonetheless, I love the take. And maybe that it's as simple as that. Maybe this guy just came in with a kick-ass take that they sparked to. So apparently the Training Day prequel is going to be set 10 years before the, inv- the events in Training Day. And uh, it'll be set in late April 1992, just days before the Rodney King verdict came out. So to me, that's kind of fascinating because you're going to see the origins of this Alonzo Harris character. Like, he wasn't always, you know, a criminal or, or as jaded as he is, uh, as we see, you know, Denzel in uh, in Training Day. Like, he had to have learned that behavior and, and how to work the streets um, somehow and— I don't know, man. Like you go back to the Rodney King times, the whole city was like a powder keg. The whole city's on edge, so it's it's just waiting to explode. But I imagine that Denzel or Alonzo learned his behavior watching what these dirty cops get away with with Rodney King. I mean, you know, the LAPD was I feel like super corrupt back then. Uh, who knows if you know if it still is? I haven't had any encounters, but uh, <laughs> at least none that I can tell you guys about. But, yeah, I imagine that watching all these cops, like, beat suspects and get away with all kinds of crazy shit, like, that is what formed Alonzo Harris. And maybe this movie ends where, like, you know, he's a young cop, uh, you know, or or naive to the the ways of the world, and he gets a promotion at the end to detective. And that sort of puts him on this track where he gets just, you know, loses himself further and further and further in, in the sort of moral decay of the city um because that's sort of what he was trying to do with Ethan Hawke like you know in another version of Training Day Jake Hoyt basically goes along with Alonzo's plan and does not offer any resistance and just sort of joins the squad and and he can, you know continues to do drugs on the job or uh you know kill dealers and pocket money and you know that that is the choice that, that Hoyt makes, and that's why Training Day is such a great movie, I understand the initial reactions where people are like, mm, do we need to go back to this? Why do we need this? Guys, I, I put forth a, a Heat remake on this week's rumor mill, which you have yet, if you haven't seen it, check it out because it's a fun episode. And I totally made it up. It's completely false. I haven't heard anything about a Heat remake, but let me tell you something. If I did, I would not be surprised. Like, that's just the way things are working these days. And Training Day was a $100 million grocer that was, nominate, that was nominated for two Oscars, winning one. I mean, this this is the only movie that uh, Denzel won a lead Oscar for. He's been the star of a lot of movies. So I, I, it may not be a – I wrote it was a career-defining role. And, and I, you know, I don't know that – I think Denzel was so successful that no one role defines his career. And a lot of people, you know, if, if, if one did – they might even say it was Malcolm X, uh, which didn't, you know, he didn't wasn't even nominated for, I don't think, or even if he was, he didn't win. But uh, I, I don't know, man. Like Alonzo Harris, I lo- like that is peak Denzel for me, Training Day, and I understand that you can't bring him back unless you're going to go the Irishman route and de- digitally de-age him, which I don't think is the way to go. As cool as it would be, if only because you have, you know, his son, John David Washington, who's a, you know, blossoming. Uh, movie star in his own right, having starred in Black Klansman, and now he's also the lead in a Warner Brothers tentpole. So, like, Warner Brothers is already in business with this guy. They're invested in his future. I don't know if he'd be open to playing his father's sort of my, most iconic character. Those are some very big shoes to fill, whether it's him or, or any actor. Um, but, yeah, he sounds just like his dad. Like, I don't know. I, that That could be interesting. And even if you don't find the idea of a training day prequel interesting you have to think you have to give yarborough credit or whoever I, whoever's idea it was to set it around the, the rodney king thing because there's a lot that you can do with that and i think it does make it interesting uh, for lack of a better word elsewhere at warner brothers like i said you know remake sequels that the, the that's the IP machine and they are doing another little shop of horrors now we we knew about this uh, they hired Greg Berlanti to direct and Matthew Robinson to write the script about three years ago but there was n- there hasn't been any updates on the project since then until earlier this summer it was included on a list of uh, projects that you know got the California film and tax credits along with uh, a couple of other Warner Brothers movies I think uh, Sherlock Holmes three was one of them um which, which signals a clear intent to make the movie. Like, you know, so often we, we write about these development projects, guys. And I don't know if they're going to happen. But by applying for a tax credit, it, it's kind of like Warner Brothers saying, you know, we're ready to make this movie. Uh, we're ready to make it in the state. You know, um, we're going to be spending a lot of money. Like, there's definitely – it seems imminent. And I've heard all kinds of casting rumors over the years from Ben Platt to uh, – let's see. Ansel Elgort, Harry Styles, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, you know, they want to find the right guy to to take over the role made famous, I think, by Rick Moranis. And I've even heard some Lady Gaga rumors for Audrey, but the, the role of Audrey too, which is, you know, kind of the character that you most closely align with Little Shop of Horrors, like what is that movie without Audrey Toohey or whatever, Uh, I never heard any rumors about that until this week. So as I said on Movie Talk, I hate that, you know, maybe I have to rethink my Movie Talk day because I don't know if I like doing Movie Talk and then coming in to talk about sort of some of the same things an hour later on this podcast. Uh, So I may have to talk to Perry about that. But basically what I said was that I had heard Billy Porter was in talks to play – the fabulous godfather rather than the fairy godmother in a new version of Cinderella over at Sony. And I'd called his reps earlier that day. No one had returned my calls. Sony uh, didn't re- respond. And THR broke it later uh, later that day. And I guess, you know, they'd been on it for a while or whatever. But when they put out the Cinderella thing, I was like, well, then I'm going with this this Little Shop of Horrors thing. And I think Billy Porter is kind of amazing casting. Like, I'm not terribly familiar with his work because I don't watch Pose but I, you know, I've seen his like acceptance speech. I saw his acceptance speech for the Emmys, uh, where he won a few weeks ago, and he definitely has the voice and, and that charisma and that sass and that attitude. Like, I, I, again, if you are gonna if you are going to do another Little Shop of Horrors, like you've got to make things a little bit different. I think that Audrey Toohey is going to be uh, significantly different than the the Levi Stubbs uh, depiction, I suppose, in the eighty six movie from Frank Oz. Um. So having like a, a man eater, if you will, like Billy Porter playing a man eater, I I dig it. Um. I think that he'll be really cool, and and, you know, it's it's a musical. Like I I I think that that you know the audiences that that embrace musicals are probably familiar with Billy Porter, and uh, and yeah, he's just having he's just having a moment. Like this guy's red hot right now. And so playing like the the fabulous godfather slash fairy godmother in Cinderella and then this Audrey Tui role, kind of perfect for him. Um, What else? God, there's so much stuff. I want to talk about this Sony movie, the the Sony story about offloading movies to streamers, including He-Man, the He-Man movie Masters of the Universe. That was a, a tip that I'd gotten a few Days before Kim Masters, wrote a story in Hollywood Reporter, I'd heard that Sanford Panich, uh, who just got a promotion over at Sony, had been meeting with Tendo Nagenda, uh, the the very smart Netflix executive, just to you know to uh, some exploratory conversations about. Listen, we've got some some projects uh, that you know either we don't want to, either they've been shot and we don't want to necessarily release them. We think we can do better better without having to sink like a ton of marketing into it if we just flip it to you guys or you know maybe they're just development projects that haven't been shot yet that you know the studio has sunk millions into developing like hiring writers and writers and drafted after draft and they're just like listen I don't know if we even ever plan to make this movie you know if we do it'd be a huge gamble for us let's just get the money up front, like, it's risk-free. And the studio's eager to minimize its risk and mas- maximize its profit. So, you know, three to four movies sounds right to me. And if and I, the thing is, is that I couldn't pin down the titles. So when you just say, oh, Sony's thinking of, you know, selling three to four movies, that's not as sexy as being able to say what those movies are. And sure enough, THR was able to found out find out at least one of those, which gives them, you know, a hook for the article. And that was Masters of the Universe. Which totally adds up. If I was Sony, I would want nothing to do with Masters of the Universe. This is a stale franchise. When I was a little kid, I used to run around the house with a fake sword, yelling He-Man, uh, and it was cute then. Uh, Thirty years later, I don't know. You know, he, he. This is like a. This is one of those projects, and I really feel like film, film reporters should consult on some of this stuff. Like I, I can tell you what's going to be hit and what's going to be a flop two years before they even make these movies. And Master of the Universe just is something that does not add up at all, especially with someone like Noah Centennial in the lead. Like you, that may sell tickets to you know sixteen to eighteen year olds, but I feel like anyone over twenty five barely knows who this guy is. He seems like a very handsome flavor of the month. Sony's in love with him. Sony and Netflix. I mean, he's he's done like three Netflix movies, and now he's gotten the call up to the majors with Sony, who have him in. Uh, Charlie's Angels, he was all over that trailer today. But it's like, you know, can he act, or is he just handsome? Um, that remains to be seen. And if I was a studio, you know, like, if I was a uh, an audience member, sure, gambling 15, 16 bucks to see Masters of the Universe isn't that bad. If I was a studio executive, I wouldn't want to gamble my job on greenlighting that movie with Noah Centennial in the lead. Like, that. it's not just Noah Centennial, it's also the property. I mean, it's, it's just like a B-list property. It's why... You know, GI these GI Joe movies like uh, the Snake Eyes one. I, I didn't bother tracking that. Like, I'm not going to waste my time tracking a movie like Snake Eyes that I'm not even going to see. Uh, and and I do kind of lump Masters of the Universe in with that. It, it was still fascinating though. Like you know, some of the details in Thr's article. Um, and I think you're going to see more places do it. Like like they like they even said like Tri Stars. You know, uh, is sort of developing movies for streamers. More and more studios are going to be making movies, right? Like making the same movies that they always made, but they're making them for streaming services who are going to fit the uh, foot the bill uh, and just don't have, you know, the whole production sort of uh, structure, or units, whatever it is that that, that the studios have. Um. Yeah, Universal and Disney—they're going to make stuff for their own streaming services. But even I guess you know Warner Brothers is like looking at making stuff for streamers that aren't even HBO Max. So it's a wild world out there for sure, um, and the streaming wars are upon us. And uh, sometimes, as I think someone in THR's story said, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, Speaking of streamers, let's talk about Apple this week. They splurged on a Christmas Carol movie from the guys who did Daddy's Home and Instant Family. And it's going to star Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. We don't know who's playing Ebenezer Scrooge. They beat out Netflix for this package. uh, And maybe there's just not as many hot packages going around these days or something. This is another one where it's like... I guess it's it's a musical. It's it's doing something a little bit different with the Dickens tale. But I feel like I've seen a Christmas Carol a zillion times. I'm not. I wasn't all that interested to begin with. Uh, I mean, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell sound like a fun pairing. And Ryan Reynolds is super hot right now. Will Ferrell's definitely seen some better days. Um, but you know he was the star of Elf, so maybe you know if you put him in another holiday comedy, it'll pay it'll pay dividends. I just feel like Apple. Had to pay so much. I mean, I think the story, Variety did an inside the numbers thing and they said they're dropping it 60 million at least on talent alone. That's before you even start making the movie. Um, and I know Apple's, you know, like they've been putting, uh, they've been guaranteeing some theatrical releases for things like partnering with smaller distributors. Uh, to, to get movies into theaters. Is this a movie that's being made for theaters, or is this going to be exclusive to to Apple TV Plus? Like, I don't understand the point of making a movie like this and not making it, like, exclusive. Um, I don't know what the deal is with, with Six Underground, if that's getting put into any theaters, or if the whole point of making it is to watch it on Netflix. Um, but yeah, it's just like... I think that they're paying Ryan Reynolds 35 million dollars and Will Ferrell probably 30 million dollars and part of that is the fact that these streamers have to buy out the back end, you know, because in success, you know, in in the uh, for a theatrical release, you know, movie stars and and producers, writers, directors, they get a little uh, a bonus or whatever their back end deal is based on how the movie performs, but if your movie's not hitting theaters, then it doesn't have a chance to perform and that's you know, money that, that these guys are miss, uh, missing out on, losing out on. And so streamers have to buy, you know, buy out the back and have to pay for that. And $35 million for Ryan Reynolds. I mean, I know it includes the producing fees for for Farrell and for Reynolds. I don't really know what Ryan Reynolds' track record as a producer necessarily is. Um, Farrell definitely, you know, has a better one. But it just seems like an awful lot of money. I would not be bidding on that package like unless unless that script in the songs blew me away. That was the other interesting thing was some of the asks like the filmmakers wanted the copyright to revert back to them after 2025 20, years. That is a very rare thing. Tarantino got away with it at Sony, but he's Tarantino and he also had Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um and then and then I guess the filmmakers also wanted to keep the rights to the original music written for the film and Apple I think they negotiated to to uh, maintain those rights, but wow, that's, uh, you can't just. Agree. I know that like you're a new company, and so you've got to overpay a little. Netflix had to do the same thing, and, and still does to some extent. But I, I don't think Netflix is the the model on how to build a company. You know, with, just with all the debt that it has, like it, it's it's going to be unable to service this debt. All the subscriptions in the world won't be able to cover. You know, the money that Netflix is spending on stuff. And I know Apple has deep pockets, but man, they and they've definitely signaled an intention like that they're in it to win it, particularly with some of the other announcements this week. They signed an overall deal with Alfonso Cuaron to develop TV projects. They also got uh, Julianne Moore and Clive Owen in Licey's Story, which is a Stephen King adaptation. You know, we're starting to see more from the Apple shows that are going to be launching soon, including M. Night Shyamalan's Servant. A um, lot, lot of hype for the morning show. So, yeah, man, Apple, they're starting to show people that they're a real competitor in this space. And even when even Netflix is like, oh, my God, they came in and outbid us like there's nothing we could have done. That, man, its it's a good time to be a creator in this town. I will tell you that. Dollars are flying. Um... We got Clerks Three, a little update on Clerks Three. I'm a big Clerks guy. I think those first those both those movies are really good. I'm I love Kevin Smith. Don't love all his movies. But I think it's cool that he'd go back and, and finish off Clerks, make it a trilogy. Cap it off. And what it is is it's going to model Kevin's real life. So I think Randall, he said, is going to have a heart attack, sort of take stock of his life and realize he never really did much with it. So he sets out to, to make a movie. Rather than working in a video store, it's for time for Randall to finally make a movie. He's not going to be making a porno with Zach and Miri. Don't worry. And, uh, and him and Dante get together and they basically make the movie that is Clerks. And to bring, you know, for Kevin to bring his career full circle like that, I, I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, hopefully it just lives up to to the legacy of, of that first film and Clerks too, which is a really strong sequel. You know, say what you will about Kevin Smith, and, and many people do, but I don't really know how you can argue with those two Clerks movies. Like, th- th- those are really kind of special looks at male friendship. As weird as it is to say. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that. Richard Jewell got announced for an AFI Fest premiere on November 20th. I am psyched for that movie, but I am not psyched for that screening because I won't be there. I already bought tickets to the Celtics and the Clippers that night. Guys, the Celtics are only in town in L.A. twice a year. Play the Clippers and Lakers once apiece. And I can't afford no Lakers tickets, so I had to pounce at that Clippers opportunity, which means I'm not going to be able to see Richard Jewell. I think this movie looks awesome. Paul Walter Hauser, uh, God, perfect casting for this, and the idea of you know Kathy Bates playing his mother. I love Kathy Bates from uh, from Angus, like she's the perfect uh, heavyset child's mother. Um, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, and Sam Rockwell, who like I know Paul Walter Hauser really looked up to. Like I think when I interviewed him, he mentioned Sam Rockwell as the kind of guy who he whose career he aspires to have. Like he's just you know, kind of chameleon who does a little bit of everything, and it's going to be fun to watch the two of these guys together. So I am kicking myself that I will uh, be missing Richard Jewell. Hopefully, Warner Brothers will uh, get me into a screening shortly before or thereafter. Um, we got David Diggs, David Diggs joining The Little Mermaid as Sebastian, the Jamaican crab. I like this casting. I like – it's funny. When I tweeted, uh, you know, that I like that Lin-Manuel, who I think easily, easily could have cast himself as Sebastian, I like that he is just going to be focused on his other uh, responsibilities for this movie, which include producing and writing original music with the uh, original composer Alan Menken. <laughs> you know, like, my, my pal David Poland, who were, we're on good terms, but he definitely uh, was like, man, if you think Disney would, would cast – you know, a brown guy as a as a character who identifies as black, like, uh, that would never happen. And I'm like, eh, I mean, I guess I can see that. Like, you know, Sebastian's Jamaican. You know, Lin-Manuel's Puerto Rican. That's not Jamaican. Blah, 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 blah. Daveed Diggs isn't Jamaican either. You know, the guy's from Oakland. Um, so... I think that if Lin Manuel really wanted to, he could have put his foot down, and and maybe they would have made Sebastian Puerto Rican. Who knows what they would have done? But I really do feel like if he wanted to do it, he could have. Whether you know he can cast himself or lobby Rob Marshall to do it, like you know Disney's not shying away from any additional Lin Manuel uh, Miranda connections that they can make. So David Poland had some words to say about it. Whatever. It's, you know when you're writing up these kinds of stories sometimes you just need to pick out an angle and so that was the one that I picked uh, that I thought it was you know generous of of Lin-Manuel to think of his Hamilton pal V Diggs for a role like this I, I do think that there was some conversation around Lin-Manuel because look at how long we've gotten to take to, to cast the role of Sebastian. Like this didn't come out around the time of Scuttle or Flounder. And, you know, there were a whole bunch of other roles that were cast. What were they saving Sebastian for last? No, they were probably just like, oh, should we, should, should it be Lynn or should it be somebody else? Like I didn't really, the only other name that people were saying was, was uh, John legend, which I, I never really understood. Um, the Irishman's playing the Blasco Theater. I don't care. I know I wrote an article about it because everybody's clicking on things about the Irishman. But all right. So they got some fancy theater on Broadway, you know, to to play a movie. It's probably going to be more profitable for them than whatever show they had in there. Um, I think it's cool that, you know, Netflix is encouraging you to see this on the biggest screen possible, and they're going to, you know, make bring in state-of-the-art equipment for this, but yeah, you know, I don't live in New York, so who gives a shit? And Most of you probably don't either. I do live near North Hollywood, and there's going to be a North Hollywood movie from Albert Hughes. This is about a, a shootout, I think it was in 1997, and it was like two bank robbers, uh, and they came out and, and engaged with the LAPD, and it was just like a complete, total, clusterfuck war zone on the streets of North Hollywood. I think that sounds kind of cool. Um, I'm eager to see what Albert Hughes would bring to it. I don't think the guy's ever made a bad movie. Like, I, I really like Dead Presidents. I liked his most recent movie, Alpha. Um, I know, you know, most movies he made with his brother, Alan Hughes. But uh, I think Albert Hughes, I'm, I'm, he'll be just fine on his own. That's what I'm trying to say. The, they also did From Hell and Book of Eli and Menace to, uh, to Society. Um, but yeah, North Hollywood sounds kind of interesting, so you can read about that on the site. There's also news that Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham are teaming up on an English-language remake of Le Convoyeur, a.k.a. Uh, Cash Truck. That's what they've called the project in the past. It's about an armored truck heist, but it's also about a little bit more than that. I think that there's an element of, of personal revenge. It's personal for, for Jason Statham, although... What was interesting about this announcement was that they said that Guy Ritchie is going to be taking it in a more ensemble-driven direction, which is, sounds great. I mean, those first two Guy Ritchie's with uh, Guy Ritchie movies would stay them, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. Those are two of my favorite movies. Like I, I love them both. So the idea of doing another kind of ensemble movie with a, a really cool crime and premise like Le Count offers. I'm on board, man. I think The Gentleman looks cool. That was a trailer. I don't know if we got a chance to talk about that one last week, but I think The Gentleman's going to be really cool. The trailer, I had seen one at CinemaCon that was a little bit harder with a lot more uh, use of the C word. And I understand why, you know, STX may not have wanted to lead with that foot. But, uh, yeah, the Red Band trailer was definitely better one than what they released. So hopes are high. Get it high for the marijuana movie The Gentleman, from Guy Ritchie. Um, Inspector Gadget. There's another Inspector Gadget movie in the works. And it's going to be from Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel, who are the SNL guys. Mikey Day's on SNL, obviously, who also wrote uh, Home Alone. So, yeah, they are a very hot writing team right now. They kind of feel like the new, like, uh, Tom Lennon, Robert... uh, Ben Garant or whatever. Like, I, I could see these guys getting a bunch of, like, you know, comedy writing jobs in the, in the years ahead. Maybe they're like the new Goldstein and Daly then. Um, but uh, oh, speaking of which, Home Alone. I heard a couple of things about this movie. I heard that they're trying to get both Kevin McAllister and Buzz McAllister back. I think that Buzz McAllister would be like a local cop. And Kevin would have his own security systems company and the kid in the movie, his house is going to be protected by the McAllister security system. And so it's almost like Kevin is helping this kid keep this couple that the kid stole something from, keep the couple out of their house. Um, So, yeah, that would be kind of interesting. Devin Rattray is still around. He's actually become a really good character actor. I'm sure he would do it in a heartbeat. The question is, will they be able to get Big Mac back as Kevin McAllister? Something tells me that for the right price, he will answer the phone. Um, Jared Leto was upset about not starring in Joker. Listen, this is understandable, guys. Like, Joker was a great movie, and if you had played the Joker before that, wouldn't you be upset too? Um, I mean, yeah, he's being a baby because he's being he's being entitled, is what he's being. Because he was cast in David Ayer's uh, Suicide Squad. That doesn't give you, you know, you know, that doesn't mean you just get to play the Joker in any project that comes up until the rest of the time. Like, you know, I mean, Jared Leto, of all people, knows how that goes. Um, so. You know, when he's saying that he felt hurt and alienated, it's like, give me a break, bro. Like, what What do you feel you are missing out on? A gigantic box office hit or a chance at an Oscar? Because you already have one. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix doesn't even – or no, I guess he does. He played Johnny Cash. Um, wait, did he win a fucking Oscar for that or was that just Reese? I don't even know. Had to look that up just for my own schmodown knowledge. Um, I didn't think, yeah, Joaquin did not win for that. I didn't think so. Uh, yeah, crazy. Jared Leto has an Oscar, Walking Phoenix doesn't. So, Jared Leto, just let Joaquin have his moment, bro. Don't rain in his parade. Len Wiseman directing a John Wick spinoff titled Ballerina. I'll tell you what this signals to me. Because I think he's a good get for this. I mean, I haven't loved any Len Wiseman movies, don't get me wrong. But, you know, he's a competent uh, action director. I think what this signals is Die Hard, they're going back to the drawing board. Like, eh, I don't know, man. Like, if I was Len Wiseman and I'd had been I'd work on Die Hard for the past couple of years and then this Disney Fox thing happens, like, I'd want to come out of the gate like you know how can we resurrect the diehard franchise what can we do that's new with this and i kind of actually did like the idea that he was working with but i wonder how active that is with him switching gears to the john wick universe and, and ballerina um god i know I, I think that they, this was something that they'd wanted for marga roby they'd love to get her as like the new female john wick uh charlie's theron type you know atomic blonde Even though that's kind of already what Birds of Prey looks like, to be honest. Um, So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see who they get. Hmm. I wonder who I would say. I have to think about that one. Uh, I love how everybody's been attacking Martin Scorsese over a soundbite about how Marvel movies aren't cinema. Like, do you think that that is his entire... Like, to reduce his argument to a tweet, I just think it's, like, so ridiculous that people... Hold actors and celebrities accountable for some of the things that they say. Like if somebody was sticking a microphone in front of your face asking you dumb questions all the time, I'm sure you'd have a dumb answer every now and then. Like I don't entirely believe that Scorsese even believes that these movies aren't cinema. Like I said, he – THR finally did an article on this. Uh, explaining about how you know Martin Scorsese was originally eyed to direct The Joker. Then I guess Todd Phillips came in and had a great take that Warner Brothers loved, and they were like, you know, it's very much like M- Marty's own movies. Do you want to executive produce it? And he uh, thought about doing that or producing it. Ultimately, got too busy with The Irishman, and so he he left it to Emma Tillinger-Koskow, who has a PGA credit on this. So it's like when people say – Scorsese doesn't think these movies are cinema. When he goes into the Cecelia Productions office and sees Emma, do you think that he's going, well, what you're working on isn't true cinema? I, I don't think that he thinks like that. And I think that the, the use of the word cinema, it does denote, it's a different kind of thing. It's not, like, I think that there's a difference between movies and films. And if you pay attention to my writing, I think you can even see it. Um what I consider a film and what I consider a movie—I mean, sometimes the terms are just interchangeable. Sometimes, you know, the next word starts with an M or an F, and, and I and I like alliteration in my writing, personally. But uh, yeah, sometimes it's just—it's—it's it's, it's like me on Twitter, where you, you you think you're like a politician and, and you got to have an opinion on everything, and you don't. But you know, Scorsese doesn't—he's not allowed to, to say that. He's got to offer something. And yeah, I, I don't think that comic book movies are cinema in the way that A Citizen Kane is is cinema. Some of it is product; it's you know it's popcorn entertainment for the masses. Some of the, the movies transcend the genre, whether it's Logan or Joker or you know f- films that are made with real care. But I, I think that if you you think that every film in the MCU has been made with real care and should be considered cinema, like you're crazy, you're naive, you're ignorant, like. You can't tell me Thor the Dark World isn't anything more than, you know, a, a, a payday for these actors. Like I don't know Thor Thor the Dark World is really the MCU movie that I like to beat up on. I'm sorry. Uh poor poor MCU. Um where are we? Oh, I love the Ed Norton Marvel stuff this week too, guys. That was that was great. Like yeah, I'm sure Ed Norton pitched them on something a lot darker, and then they're just like, "This doesn't fit into what we want to do. This isn't how we see ourselves." Okay, Ed Norton has a reputation, but it's not like he like come. He doesn't have a reputation for coming in and ruining movies. You know, some of the movies that he has done his Ed Norton punch ups on, including American History X, where he had you know horrible fights with Tony K, the director. That movie's a fucking masterpiece. So if that is what, you know, Ed Norton's ego gets you, I'll take it. Now, I haven't seen Motherless Brooklyn. I've not heard very good things. Uh, It looks challenging, to say the least. But I'm going to see it because I will see almost anything Ed Norton is in. I think he's a brilliant actor. And listen, Ruffalo is great, too. Like, things worked out in the end. I don't think he should be bitter about it. I understand that maybe he feels like Kevin Feige sort of threw him under the bus or well, uh, and i do think that you know journalists like you know ed norton has a certain narrative to his career and part of that is that he's difficult to work with or whatever uh but he's right when he says that those you know it's just stuck to him but nobody's really said that he's been difficult to work with for like a long time really and for journalists who i don't think really know the industry the players you know that kind of thing they just sort of go off what they google Because I I think we're talking about – it was like a New York Times piece, and that guy's a great writer. I think it was David Marchese or something. Um, Yeah, I think Ed Norton was right to sort of call him out and be like, this is old stuff that you're kind of dredging up, and and I don't think it really fits me anymore. Um, Listen, he he was a young guy who had incredible success. He was, I think, Oscar-nominated for his very first performance in Primal Fear. So, yeah. Like you know you do develop, and you go not to mention he's brilliant the guy went to Yale, and if you read that interview for motherless brooklyn like it would so it's it's almost intimidating to to interview Ed norton he's definitely the smartest guy I've ever interviewed i think um he his vocabulary just the way that he is he's so articulate uh some of the ideas that he puts forth i i I think the guy is a genius um so I, I am looking forward to that movie, but I, I, I it, yeah, the 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 Marvel quotes going viral this week cracked me up. Mark uh, Marin had some Joker comments too. Whatever. I don't even I don't even know. I don't even care. Uh Joker though did make ninety-six million over the weekend. That overperformed. I took the over and went with eighty nine. It went even higher than that, guys. It's all anybody was talking about. Um, and it's gonna win the box office again this weekend. You know, I think it's, uh, right, taking on Gemini Man and the Adams Family. Neither looks to be opening that strong. <laughs> I love how, like, Ang Lee is just totally unconcerned with, like, box office. Uh, and it's like, bro, you, you spent a lot of money on this. Like, <laughs> you don't just get to, like, spend all this money and then say, well, it's all about the art anyways. Who cares how much it makes? Like, uh I just don't know what, if anybody's going to be in a rush to hire Ang Lee again after after the final numbers come in on Gemini. I man. again, maybe it'll be like Aladdin. Maybe it'll overperform uh, overseas because he has Will Smith has such a fan base over there. Again, I like the movie. I thought, you know, I, I don't pay attention to, like, high frame rates. Sometimes I was like, oh, man, this looks really good. And sometimes I was like, man, this looks really cheap. But I wasn't sitting there paying attention to the high frame rate because I go to the movies to pay attention to story. And the story in Gemini Man isn't great, but I liked Will Smith. I thought he was, you know, charismatic, uh, doing old Will Smith things. Um, so there, there's enough there. I think it's worth 15-16 bucks at, at a movie theater would I pay 26-28 to see it in 120 HFR, you know, all the all that shit? Like some may argue that's the whole reason to see it. Others may say, you know, the story doesn't justify that kind of investment, but, you know, for half the price, maybe it does. Uh, Oh, I also liked, uh, you know, there's a new Dr. Sleep poster this weekend, and I tweeted something out, and I just wanted to clarify the tweet. Like, (laughs) I know that Dr. Sleep is a sequel to The Shining, both uh, certainly the book the movie certainly looks like one and the you know Warner Brothers is com- totally selling it based on the iconography of the shining movie kubrick's the shining um i just remember like when the you know when the the project was first announced if i tell you the phone calls that i had with warner brothers publicity about how this is not a, a sequel to the shining it's not a sequel it's it's an adaptation of the book Dr. Sleep, and I would say, right, but the book Dr. Sleep is a sequel to the book The Shining, like, man, it's <laughs> the arguments that you can have with some publicists in Hollywood, publicists who I, I love and respect, but it, it is funny to hear some of the arguments that they get paid so much more than me to make uh, versus how much I make to to argue the, the correct arguments. Um Yeah, buzz on that one isn't great, guys. The the buzz on a lot of movies coming up isn't great. Charlie's Angels had a new trailer this morning, that buzz is not kind either. I mean, again, Elizabeth Banks, I like her as an actress, but she totally botched the Pitch Perfect sequel. I don't have a lot of faith in in the cast. You know, like obviously we don't know Ella Balinska. I didn't see Aladdin, so I don't know much about Naomi Scott. Kristen Stewart, I, you know, I typically like her, but I think she looks so miscast. She's just not fun. She's 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 not dynamic. She's she doesn't have that charisma. Yeah, yeah I, that's like the last person I would want to see in a Charlie's Angels movie. Uh, I am not enthused about that one at all. It's, I've heard it's another Men in Black international for Sony. Um, do, 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 do some TV stuff. Watchmen only running one season. I didn't know that. Damon Lindelof said he, he yeah, only wrote it with one season in mind. If he gets a second season, if he decides there are more stories to tell in this universe, then he's down to give it another go. Based, but uh, you know, wants to see what the reaction is first. I'm going to see the uh, first episode on Monday night. Might be the first two episodes. Not sure. I know they've sent the first four out to uh, to to certain critics. But, yeah, that surprised me because I thought this was going to be sort of one of HBO's new flagship series. If it just turns out to be a limited thing, one and done, like, you know, it might even be stronger for that. But, yeah, part of me wonders if if it would be like Big Little Lies, like – Designed for one season, then they you know decided to stretch it, and it just didn't work as well. Uh, David Yellowo signing on to Showtime's "The President Is Missing," based on the book by James Patterson, my boy, my Alex Cross homie, and former President Bill Clinton. Kind of cool for O Yellowo. Um, yeah, uh, you know we don't really see him as much as I think that we should. He might have been an interesting Commissioner Gordon. Um but yeah, this this seems like a smart choice for him. I'm I'm intrigued by this. I really like James Patterson uh and his books. And I, I didn't read this one, but I heard good things. Um, Rachel Maddow, whose show I don't watch, has joined the Batwoman show starring Ruby Rose over at the CW. That uh, I don't watch that show. I won't watch this new show. Um, there's a CBS miniseries. Brendan Gleeson casts as Donald Trump. Jeff Daniels as Comey. Holly Hunter's going to be in it. That's a hell of a cast. I don't know if I see Brendan Gleeson as Trump. Uh, seems kind of weird to me. Um, but good for CBS for getting you know these three actors together. That's kind of cool. And then Bong Joon Ho has expressed interest in directing a, an episode of Mindhunter. I think Netflix and David Fincher need to jump on that while he is still offering because that would be super cool. I mean, you know, I, there's always a limit to what a TV director, I think, can bring to an episode because each episode sort of has to be of a piece with the episodes that came before it, particularly with a show like Mindhunter. Uh, I, I, obviously with Breaking Bad, you know, Ryan Johnson came in, did that fly episode, he you know experimented. Because they just didn't have enough money. And, and, and that episode did stick out like a sore thumb. But it was good. You know? Um, but yeah, Bong Junho ho would probably have to uh, conform. Which I don't know if that that's his thing. But it would be really cool to see his name uh, in the credits of Mindhunter. Guys, there are two lawsuits that, that, <laughs> that stuck out this week. Um, there's the X-Men theme song lawsuit there was like uh, some Turkish television show or I don't know what it was but it, I think it was called Linda and it had this awesome theme song that the creators like well anyone in in the country would have recognized uh, would hear this song and know that's from the TV show Linda I guess it's basically it was ripped off by the X-Men animated series it did sound pretty much the exact same to me. Uh, and so the guy's arguing, like, listen, this theme song is made X Men, what it is, and he and he wants his cut. And I don't know if it's too long, you know, if things have gone by. Like, it seems a little crazy to be filing lawsuits based on a twenty or twenty five year old animated television series. But guys got a point. Guys got a point. The other lawsuit this week was absolutely incredible. We're calling it the poop lawsuit, A.K.A. Poop gate, ICM Partners, they parted ways with one of its agents. I'm not going to name the agent. You can find the lawsuit online, but basically they're saying that this guy took a poop on the floor of the the bathroom in the New York office, and they're saying that uh, you know they had a witness who sort of. You know, knew that he was the last guy in the bathroom before the poop was discovered. I've got so many questions. I could not stop making jokes about this on Twitter. It's hilarious. First of all, ICM launched a poop investigation. Can you – like, who gets that call? Like, hey, Bobby, can you come up to HR? We're going to need you. (laughs) We've got to ask you a favor. Do you have a busy week? Because we're going to need you to lead a poop investigation. (laughs) Like, do they fly someone to New York? Someone who maybe isn't you know, tight with all the the New York people. He's a little impartial. He or she, I suppose. Although they're in the men's room. So you'd think it'd have to be a male investigator. Unless they close it down, you never know. So they launched this investigation. I've heard that they have uh, him on security camera going into the bathroom and exiting the bathroom. But how do we know that the poop wasn't already in there? Right? There's no cameras in the bathroom. Maybe he saw it and ignored it. Maybe he didn't even see it. Maybe he walked right past it. Like, who is the guy who found the poop on the floor, right? And then was like, oh my God, guys, come in and look at this. Like, maybe he who smelt it dealt it. Maybe this the the person it's like uh, the Richard Jewell trailer. Sometimes the person who finds the body is, is is the suspect, or the person who finds the bomb is the bomber. Well maybe the guy who found the poop is the pooper. You know it's it's just incredible, so meanwhile they have this investigation, right, and I don't know how long in, uh, poop investigations take, but the guy gets cleared in the investigation. Oh my God, what a sigh of relief! What do you do when you get cleared in a poop investigation? Do you go home and hug your wife like <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> This is it's just it's just too good. The problem, of course, even though he was cleared in this poop investigation, is that word of the poop investigation spread like diarrhea to other networks and studios. And before long, everybody knew about it. And whether he did or didn't, it's like, you know, it's already it's stuck. His reputation has been affected. It's the same thing like Richard Richard Gere in the gerbil story. You know, as much bullshit as that may be. People will always – when they hear the – when they even say gerbil in this town, people are going to think Richard Gere. So if I was a writer or director, I don't know if I'd want to be represented by the poop guy, whether the poop guy did it or not. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't believe we're talking about this. Um, So anyways, he left the agency and then sued the next day. And what's so funny is that maybe this had, you know, this the story had spread to, you know, studios and and major studios, excuse me. No one told IFC or Magnolia or Bleecker Street those those poor indie studios. But major studios and agencies um and he felt like his reputation was ruined and he sued them. Shit, where am I going with this? Right, he put it out there himself in the lawsuit. That's the part that doesn't make any sense to me. The general public would never have known this story if he hadn't included it in his own lawsuit. So I wonder if he really thought like long and hard, like with his lawyer, like do I really want to be the poop guy going forward? You know, I mean, I guess if you think you can get millions at ICM, it might be worth it. Um, but god, I had fun talking about this with some industry people at uh at a screening that night and <laughs> Yeah, I just don't know how you recover from that one. And I say that as as someone who is affectionately known by some friends as the Phantom Pooper. Uh, I don't, I, I, I've debated telling you guys this story. Yeah, I don't want to gross anybody out. I'm going to keep the Phantom Pooper. Tales of the Phantom Pooper are being kept under wraps. But uh, I loved on the Deadline article about this lawsuit that there wasn't one comment because I guess everybody's just keeping those cheeks clenched. Um, in other shit this week <laughs> literally uh, movies and trailers that I watched there were a lot of them that's how we'll end the show before we uh, get to some of our rumors of the week so in addition to El Camino I saw Clean and Slim Monday night uh, that's embargoed I was able to tweet my social reaction to it in which I basically call it excellent uh, I think Kaluya was great um, Jody Turner-Smith is a real find cinematography was gorgeous like it's going to be controversial for sure for sure i was actually surprised at just how sympathetic it was to the plight of these two doomed lovers on the run but um yeah it, i just want to say it's not the black bonnie and clyde like bonnie and clyde were criminals who kind of embraced being on the other side of the law these guys don't think of themselves as criminals um and you may not either you know you may think that what happens in the film is, is justified as as self-defense. So, um, you know, I'll be able to talk about that one a little bit closer to the release next month. I also saw Knives Out, uh, and I also don't want to get too much into that one because it is a whodunit. And Ryan Johnson asked us all not to spoil anything, and I'm not going to here. All I'll say is that my reaction was not as strong as most of the reactions out there. I didn't love it, and that sort of reflected uh, – by my star rating on the blog, on uh, theinsnider.blogspot.com, guys. Theinsnider.blogspot.com bookmark it that has every movie that I see, uh, a star rating, where, you know, how I would sort of categorize it. And it stays up there all year. So, if you know, so for those nights where you're like, oh, I'm not sure what to watch, you can go to theinsnider.blogspot.com, look at the movies that I have in my standout or, or good section, see what you missed, and, and then you can choose that. Um, So, yeah, we'll talk about Knives Out again after after more people have had a chance to see it. I actually need to go talk about it with Perry because I had a lot of questions. Um, I saw my aunt and uncle were in town this weekend. Love them. And I'm going to have – this is my promise to you guys. I'm going to have my aunt, Amy Snyder, on an episode of this podcast because she knows movies – She fostered my love of movies, but she knows uh, the current crop of, like, indie movies and stuff as well as anybody. She pays super close attention to it. She's always going to the theaters up in, like, Cornwall, New York or I don't know where. You know, upstate New York. Um, So, yeah, we got to get her on. But we went to go see Judy, which I got to tell you, I didn't think I had any interest in Judy. I kind of loved it. Like, I was very skeptical of Renee Zellweger and her Oscar chances this year, but she blew me away. I mean, what a performance. And it's crazy that the only, you know, the performance that's really up there in my mind with her this year is Jesse Buckley and Wild Rose. And Jesse Buckley plays her sort of right hand in this movie. Um, But, yeah, it is more than just a performance from Zellweger. There's a gay couple in this movie that I thought was absolutely heartbreaking. Like they did beautiful work. The movie has an incredible ending. Like, it really made me want to stand up and cheer. I think it's going to p- send people out of theaters on a high note. It's doing well at the box office. Judy could be a, a, a an awards contender surprise, a surprise awards contender. I also saw the documentary Where's Roy Cohn. Didn't really have uh, – didn't really know that much about Roy Cohn, but it was kind of fascinating to learn about this evil guy who, strangely enough, I could see some of myself in. You know, just like how aggressive he was and winning at all costs and – you know I've certainly been guilty of of some of that stuff uh you know when I was younger where right? I didn't really care about who I was stepping over so long as I got the scoop um so yeah it was it was interesting in the sense that i you know no i I don't want to continue uh down down that path and and wind up like this guy um a lot of trailers this week god damn there was uh Judy and punch I thought that looked pretty cool a couple of like a revenge fueled uh movie with Mia Wasikowska and, and Damon Harriman, who played uh, Manson twice this summer, uh, a couple of uh, married puppeteers who who go at it. Mickey and the Bear, that trailer with Camilla Marone and um, James Dale That looked like a good little indie. I plan to uh, give that screener a look soon. There's a first look at Truth Be Told, starring Octavia Spencer as like a crime podcaster, trying to ascertain the guilt of Aaron Paul. Was already in jail. Seems like that's something I've seen before, but with those two actors, definitely down to to watch that kind of story again. The Turning, the Amblin horror movie with Mackenzie Davis and Finn Wolfhard and, and Little Brooklyn Prince. I mean, you know, look like another generic sort of what, haunted house with a twist type of movie. The January release date does not inspire confidence, but my girlfriend Stephanie thought it looked like a lot of fun. Uh, Earthquake Bird, a Netflix movie with Alicia Vikander and Riley Keogh. That looked kind of moody and atmospheric and interesting. I don't think it's, like, super high on my list of Netflix movies to watch this fall. Put them down to give it a look. Uh, they also released a trailer for Atlantics. I didn't get a chance to look at that one. Netflix put out, uh, oh, God, there's this tell me who I am about this uh, guy who, you know, gets into a horrible accident. He can't remember anything. Can't remember his name, uh, who he is. But he has a twin brother who he does recognize. And, the t- and so he says, you know, tell me about my life. Tell me who I am. And the twin brother completely lies to him and paints this like idyllic picture of a life that this, that his brother never led and things were actually a lot grimmer for them. Can't wait to see that documentary. They released a trailer for this movie rattlesnake. I like that Netflix has, is kind of releasing one genre movie each week uh, from like mid September to uh, the end of October here. Rattlesnake's about like uh, a little girl who gets bit by a rattlesnake. And if, uh, if, You know the townspeople are going to help them. Then she needs to kill somebody. It's like, I guess it's like a a strangers on a train kind of thing. Except there's no train. Love the title. Kind of really dig the premise. I don't know. You know, having to take a life to save a life. It's interesting. Um, Yeah, I don't know. We'll see if we'll see if uh, that's like a cool Netflix movie or or like the Netflix movies from two or three years ago that were pretty forgettable. Um, They also did, God, Daybreak. That was some post-apocalyptic teen series with Matthew Product. I don't think I'll be watching that. Uh, Onward, a new Pixar trailer, a trailer for something called The Courier with Gary Oldman and Olga Kurilenko. Gary Oldman, man, he, you know, he can win Oscars in one movie and the next movie or like, I hope that you got paid well. Um, the trailer that I saw at the Landmark, though... Oh, i got to talk about this Landmark news in a sec. The trailer I saw at the Landmark that I loved... Um, there were two, actually. The Cotton Club Redux trailer. I've never seen the Cotton Club. It actually looks uh, really entertaining. And uh, the idea of seeing like a young Richard Gere and Nicolas Cage. That's up my alley. The other one was The Current War. I didn't see the Current War trailer online. This, what a great trailer. This is the movie that got, got caught up in the Weinstein... Bankruptcy mess uh, with, you know, it's Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Shannon, Nicholas Holt as uh, Edison, Westinghouse, and Tesla. I thought it looked absolutely fascinating. Um, So I'm excited for that. Not excited to go to the Landmark to see it, though, because I found out this weekend they got rid of the pretzel baguettes. The, The Landmark had the best pretzels in LA, and they're getting rid of them. I don't know why. I don't, I don't like mustard, and I would eat the mustard that they included with those pretzels at the Landmark. If they're going to just a generic movie pretzel or pretzel bites or whatever, I will be disappointed. I like uniqueness. Landmark was unique for that reason. And, uh, yeah, what a bummer to hear that they're getting rid of the baguettes. All right. Time for some rumors of the week. That's what we're going to end the show on, guys. Oh, God, what do I want to say? What do I want to say? What can I prove? What can I not prove? Let's throw some shit out there. Um, for starters, there's been some talk about whether Ben Affleck or Matt Damon would be the rapist in, in The Last Duel. One, you know, This is the movie about two friends, one of whom uh, goes off to war. His, his friend rapes his wife, and then nobody believes her. And when they come back, they, they have uh, a duel. I'm told Ben Affleck will indeed be the rapist. Uh, Matt Damon will be playing Jodie Comer's husband. Um, And, you know, it's a relief for me just because I didn't really want to see Matt Damon raping anybody. Not that I want to see anybody get raped. uh, But, uh, you know, that is like, guys, I got to be able to talk about the the premise of this movie. I'm not making the movie. They are. I got to be able to talk about it. It's about rape. Like, uh, sorry. Um, send all complaints to Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. But, uh, yeah, that casting makes a lot of sense. The Fear remake, remember that one? I don't even know if there's a director on this thing yet, but a manless Stenberg is attached to co-star. Um, so, you know, I was thinking, oh, who's who's going to be the Mark Wahlberg to, uh, to her new Reese Witherspoon, if you will? It's not working out like that. This is a movie instead about a uh, a widowed father who gets a new girlfriend and the new girlfriend turns out to be crazy. So this is really about a manless Stenberg and her father's girlfriend. That is the new take on fear. I kind of like it. It's, it's interesting. It's different. Because you weren't going to do better than Mark Wahlberg and, and fear. I mean that's just an all-time performance. Um, should that be it? Should I leave it at that? Yeah. I think so. I'm going to try to actually write some of these things. If if they haven't broken in a week, you know, maybe then maybe then maybe I'll do it on next week's show because I got two good things that I don't know that I'm going to be able to like confirm and prove and they make really good rumors. But I feel like I, I did a lot. I did the Affleck thing, I gave you the, the home alone stuff, uh and then the sphere thing. Those are those are some good tidbits right there, right? I think so. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Snyder Cut. I got to get back to work, guys. It's been an hour. I got to write some stuff for the site. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful El Camino weekend. Don't forget to give uh, Brad Anderson's Fractured a chance with Sam Worthington. I want to check that out myself. Tonight, I'm checking out Halloween as part of the Street Food Cinema's Cinema Phantasmagoria. You can find me on Twitter. Facebook, at The InSnyder, you can get a cameo from me. I am a blast on cameo, guys. And also on OfferUp. I'm always uh, selling weird shit on OfferUp. Uh, so, yeah, look me up, buy some stuff. It's better than contributing to a Patreon, isn't it? Have a wonderful weekend, folks, and stay tuned to Collider.com for a lot more scoops. The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect start to set any holiday vibe. The Home Bar makes over 30 cocktails, brews, ciders, and more, all at the push of a button. From cosmopolitans to old fashions, each pod contains real ingredients and premium spirits. Insert the pod and let the Home Bar do the work. Go to drinkworks.com to order your Home Bar and see all available drinks. Drinkworks. Press play. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc. used under license. Please enjoy responsibly. Why do millions of Americans choose to sleep on Bolin Branch sheets? Is it the 100% organic cotton? Is it that they get softer and softer over time? Customers can't stop raving about these sheets, and there's no better time to try them for yourself or give them to someone you love. Right now, Bolin Branch is offering their best deals of the year, and you can get their incredibly soft sheets at incredibly low prices. Just go to bowlinbranch.com to shop their best deals today. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com today. See site for details.